What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn. Mm. I reckon we have a bit of a showdown, me and you. Really? Yeah. Okay. Really find out who's a better trainer. Ooh, now you've fucking thrown the cat amongst the pigeons, haven't you? Yeah. I reckon we get puppies, mm. brothers or something like that, okay. and have a bit of a competition, see who can raise it the best. Okay. So now that you've thrown the gauntlet out there, where are you thinking that we're going to get these magnificent specimens from? I want to get duchies right. or shepherds. Yep. So if we're going to get them, the only place in the world that anybody should be looking to get mm. a German Shepherd or a Dutch Shepherd from is Haus Hamburg Shepherds in Germany. Oh, good call. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I like this. All right. So now that we've got the dogs, yeah. what's the next part of the evolution? Well, the good news is mm-hmm. they they can send those Shepherds anywhere in the world. Yep. So what about we get one sent here to Australia? Right. You'll train that one. Okay. And I'll get one sent to myself in North America. Mm-hmm. But we're going to need training equipment to train those dogs. Right. So I guess that I have to go and talk to the bullfed. Yeah. So your gear, all your dog training needs, Mm -hmm. because we'll start fresh. We'll get all new everything. Everything. All your dog training needs will be met by Ironswick Dog Quip. Oh, the bullfed himself. Yeah. Okay. So I can get myself some mills, some great leads, some collars. All that Training stuff. devices, treats, balls, whatever I need. Yeah, you'll be able yep. to get that from Ironswick because yep. you're going to be here in Australia. Well, that means that you have to go up north, further north yep. in, in North America yep. and go and see old mate Mach Le Point. Yep. And get everything from Canine everything. Dynamics. Oh, Canine Dynamics. Yep. Yep. I'll get the leashes I need, the tugs I need, everything. I think I can even get bite suits. Everything. Yeah. I can get that from Canine Dynamics. Yep. From in North America. Mm-hmm. There is one- Part of this that is somewhat unfair. Well, you get to hang out with Melanie Benware. Yeah. So I'm actually going to get my dog. Tra- I'm not going to do any of the training. Yep. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to get a play and train mm-hmm. done where Mel's actually just going to come to my house because I'm going to take that dog to Richmond, Virginia. Yep. Ashland, Virginia Ashland. as well. Ashland, Ashland Virginia. Virginia. Yep. So everything both areas. Yeah. Uh, I can be either one of those mm. and I'm just going to go do something else nine to five and she'll come into my home Train that dog. Well, you're sipping cafe just, lattes. Just, just gallivanting yeah. all over Gallivanting. The <laughs> Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio by my co-host, Glenn Cook. Welcome back, Mr. Non-COVID Skipper. Yep. I've been, <laughs> dude, I've been jumping all around the country avoiding COVID. I cannot believe that you are literally missing COVID by the skin of your teeth. Like, yeah. it's kind of like watching one of those horror movies where people are either driving out and there's flame like licking their heels and they just get out by the skin of their nose. Yeah. I'm well, going to start calling you the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> okay. What? Well, when that goes into the Death Star to blow up the Death Star and then gets out just before it explodes. Yeah. yeah. So 
So what's crazy was when I was in New Zealand, I was all worried about, oh no, am I going to get stuck here or whatever? Mm. But it's lucky I was there mm. because where I would have been if I wasn't in New Zealand, <laughs> there was a COVID outbreak. I can't believe it. Yeah. yeah. And so I avoided that. I was in a different country when it happened, though I would have been there. Yep. And then, you know, me and Jane went up to Queensland mm. to film the IGP National. So we turned it into kind of a, a family holiday kind of thing because the, the actual trial was at night. So while we were there, as we landed, they changed the border restrictions to yep. be that if you'd been in the places that I would have been when I was in New Zealand, that you couldn't come into there. So we were good to stay. We were good to be there. And then more and more cases start emerging all over Sydney. While we're not in Sydney, we're gone. So then on Sunday afternoon- we're sitting at the airport and I'm thinking there's all these spots in Sydney now that are considered a hotspot. Mm. And if you've been to them or go to them, you can't get back into Queensland. And I have to come back into Queensland like four days later to do a seminar. And so where you are in Sydney, it's like licking the heels again yeah. of those sort of. Yeah. So at mm. that time it still would have been fine, Yeah, but I was like, oh, it's spreading. And so I chose not to go home, chose to stay in Brisbane instead. Hence why we didn't have a podcast last week. Exactly. Yeah. But then lucky I did because by Wednesday it would have been impossible for me to get back in. Absolutely. It's my home area that was then a, a hotspot. Uh, so I wouldn't have been able to get back in. And then, yes, yeah, Sydney's gone into total lockdown while I've been gone. So we got it done and mm. you kind of weigh up like, oh, I want to do this, but what effect will that have on me? And it's lucky I did the seminar in Sunshine Coast because now this one in Sydney will have to be postponed. So if I didn't stay up there to make sure that I could do the Sydney one, I would have gotten neither. It just worked exceptionally well and you were really lucky that you just got those windows of opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Look, I don't want to make this a political thing. It's incredible that nobody's asking, how did we get into this situation again? Yeah. Like being an isolated country in the middle of the Pacific Ocean or the Indian Ocean, whichever way you want to go, and here we are with the Delta variant back in our country, closing our borders down, ruining our businesses. Well, it's the flight crews, man, and that's the issue. So, um, you just you don't come back from- Fucking countries that are ravaged with yeah, but we have to get mail COVID. in and all kinds of stuff. So that one, because I did look into it, it's a flight crew from. It's not a passenger jet, so it was a flight crew, and she did the quarantine. But then I guess her symptoms didn't show, and she passed a test to leave quarantine, and then developed it between leaving quarantine and getting back on the flight to get out, and gave it to a driver who was driving her between the hotel and the airport. And then Mm. he's the one that then spread it everywhere. So like I'm with you, it pisses me off. And now we're back in lockdown and all the shit fight that comes of that, but we need mail. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, we do. But I mean, (laughs) they know that we've been through this dance before. They know the routine and they know how strict they've got to be about it. They just need to change it that these people just can't come back into the country and then skip around in major cities. That's the part that really pisses me off. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you I, like that. I said, I don't want to turn it into a political minefield because there are so many conspiracies sweeping around the world around all this sort of shit and like getting microchips digitally implanted into your arms <laughs> and so forth. But anyway, so for me, yeah. it was a, a forced holiday in Brisbane, which is a disaster for me because I hate that and I couldn't work. You know, I'm still like my mentality is my holidays are with my family, mm. not alone. And so when I'm away from my family, I prefer to work nonstop, but I don't work off a laptop. I was up there. I filled all my memory cards filming the IGP Nationals. So I was like- How was, was that? It was good. Yeah. yeah. It was good to watch. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I've got almost all the footage I need now for the project, but uh, I would have loved to have been able to put it all together then while I was sitting around the hotel, but- 
Who won? Couldn't do it. Who took out the uh, Shell Chaffee. Shell Chaffee cleared pretty much everything out. Yeah. It was unfortunate because it ended up like, although it was a Nationals, it kind of ended up being a big club trial because there were, because of restrictions, there were a lot of people that couldn't get there. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a bit of a bummer like that, but it was still a good event. Well, you really still well. win, you win. You, yeah, yeah. That's you still right. champ on the day. Yeah. And mm. really well run event. It was all great. We had a, had a great time. Got all the footage that I needed. Mm. So yeah, now I've just got to put all that together, but that's going to take a long, long, long time. Yeah, that um, much. Yeah, I've got like 700 gig of footage and yep. now I've got to, you know, find the useful bits because I've just been filming kind of everything and I've got to figure out how to tell the story that I want to tell with it. And Patreon bought us a drone? Yeah, Patreon bought us a drone while we were there. Yeah. Because I wanted one, there was like kind of a type of shot that I wanted to get for IGP Nationals, which I didn't get because yep. we didn't have the drone then. And then I was like, God damn, I wish that I could have got that. And as an establishing shot and it would add to the whole kind of thing. So then when I had nothing to do in Brisbane, I went bird flying with Maddie and she Maddie took, Plume, yeah. Yeah. And she mm. took me and showed me all of yeah, her birds fly. It was amazing. Like a really cool experience. Yeah. And then I was like, I want to fly around like that. The best I can do is get a drone. <laughs> so we got a drone. And um now there'll be drone footage and all things from here on out. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. That was my week. Uh kept busy and then Went up to Sunshine Coast, did the seminar. It was great. Mm. 60 people, something like that. Yeah, uh, that's was, good. was awesome. Mm. Yep, some cool dogs, cool people. Met people that, you know, you've been talking to for ages. Lots of new people that I've never seen before, like, you know, people coming into the industry. Yep. Or just, you know, pet dog enthusiasts that are listening to the show and then want to come and see me live. And so it was awesome. Yeah, I had a really good time. Mm. Super glad to be home, though. And now back into Sydney, back into two weeks of lockdown. Well, let's hope it doesn't extend beyond that because Narelle and I have got a seminar coming up. She's doing her raw feeding and nutrition and I'm doing an aggression one. That got cancelled last year Mm -hmm. for exactly the same reason. So we're trying to do round two and hopefully Mm. in September we'll be up there and- I think hopefully by September we'll be fine. So I got, and now I've got to, so if you, oh, this will be out. You'll have heard from me long before this comes out, but for the Sydney seminar, I've got to figure out, we'll have to postpone and I'll refund whoever wants to be refunded and we've got to find a new, a new date. Yep. But, um, yeah, by the time you're listening to this, you, I, I will have contacted all those people. Mm. We were discussing just then about dogs with no history, mm. right? Often as I do, as I said, even with that last topic we had about my partner causes me problems, yeah. which certainly has got some interesting feedback. Yeah. I had a, quite a large number of people contact me. Yes, like, likewise. I feel like you were attacking me <laughs> <laughs> or you were perfectly explaining my situation or, you know, there were a lot of people where I think that hit home for. Even people who really didn't know it was a problem now know it's a problem, Mm -hmm. thanks to us. Well, like I'm kind of drawing on things that have happened in my own experiences from me causing problems with the dogs because what I will allow the dogs to do, and I don't know, you can tell your own version, but I know that what I will tolerate from the dogs is different than what Narelle likes to tolerate from the dogs Mm -hmm. and is different than what the public likes to tolerate from their dogs. Things that usually get dogs euthanized, like pulling and and jumping up and so forth to me is a non-issue with my dogs. Like Mm -hmm. to a degree, like I'm not saying I allow it all the time and I usually shape it into other behaviors, but to other people, some of the things that I allow my dogs to do is completely intolerable to the pet market. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking to pet people and when you're going around doing consults and and working with them, like even sporting people, some people would say, oh, I'd never allow my dogs to do that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like when I'm not doing training and when I'm not like when my dogs aren't hitched up to go to work, there is a lot of liberties and freedoms that they're allowed to have because Mm -hmm. it doesn't bother me. And there have been times where the behavior is manifested into something that's probably 
too offensive for Narelle where we've had to address it. Like I've had to say, okay, I understand that's uncomfortable for you. In the past, I probably would have just laughed it off and said, deal with it sort of thing. But when your partner is the person who's doing all the feeding and the looking after and they still have a management plan in those dogs as well, there's a high degree of grow the fuck up, mm-hmm. you know, and that's something that I've had. It's a challenge that I've had to look upon myself and say, stop being such an ass in this situation. You're mm-hmm. not the only person who is involved in this relationship. So you can't just allow this to manifest and then laugh about it and then leave the other person to pick up your mess, mm-hmm. which fundamentally has happened. And this is a conversation that I've had with a few people that have messaged me backwards and forwards to say, what have you done about this in the past? Or has it affected your relationship? And I said, it hasn't so much affected our relationship, but it's had moments where we've had to deep dive into a discussion about how it's affecting the other person, yeah, you know, and really when it boils down to it, it comes back to consideration. Yeah. So consideration and perspective are two areas working with a lot of young ladies like I'm doing. I mean, we've got like 70 odd staff now and there is a lot of times that male and female perspective and considerations really need to be thought about because we do think differently. I mean, people have been writing and speaking and blogging about that for eons before we were even born. And we are different in the way that we consider and perceive things. So getting back to the dog-related things, there's a lot of times where the guys in the household love that really hard, full-on play session with the dog. As you said, you know, like they adrenalize the dog, they create this level of arousal, Mm -hmm. and then they, you know, like the dog's still there and you're sort of saying, oh, that's enough. Mm -hmm. And then the dog's going, no, no, I need to take this out on somebody else. You know, this needs to spill out into into the children and into the wife and, you know, then the visitors or the other dog is then going to get a helping of it because I'm I'm awake now and I'm ready, you know, like I can't settle. It is something that we have to – perceive and conceive is that this is not fun for the other people in the household as well. Something just sort of, I was thinking about as you were talking then, you know, we talk about a lot how that making that dog bold and not putting too much control work on the dog and that kind of thing while they're young. Yep. I kind of feel like, you know, the more I uh, move around and see the influence that maybe we or others have had on people over time, I'm sort of noticing things where maybe that can you – know, some of the things that you say kind of can be misconceived or, or misconstrued. Oh, absolutely. That's one of the things I had people say, Kirsty and Maggie who organised a seminar up there. So Kirsty, it's the fourth time she's been to the seminar. She's been to three and now organised a fourth. And it's really interesting to hear feedback from people about things that I've changed teaching over time. And I don't think that I've changed too much in what I do with dogs – but what I definitely have changed is sometimes the way that I teach things mm. because you see the effects of using strong language and stuff like that. Yep. And so the more that I, you know, and there's plenty of people who have had, you know, been in the industry a while and, you know, did, you know they've got their dog they started with or whatever. And since listening to us and being influenced by the sort of people that we're under the influence of and uh, as well, like the, you know, the community of dog mm. trainers that are making content and that kind of stuff, they've gotten their, their dog that's going to be their sport dog or their, you know, their demo dog or whatever. And they're raising them under that advice. And it's interesting to see how that advice can sometimes be uh, misunderstood or yes. misapplied and mm. stuff like that. And, and so that's why a lot of the, the language that I use to train stuff has been evolving and changing. I used to speak kind of really heavily and intensely about existential food training. Mm. And like I've certainly found that, 
that has been misunderstood in the way that I've put it out in that that's all I train the dog with. And in fact, it's not really at all. It's probably not even a third of the reinforcers that I would use. Food is a, it's not up there at all. Mm. But the way that I use it when I do is very specific. And I've learned that I put way too much emphasis on teaching the way that I use it. And therefore the time component in explanation of that has given the inference that it is a bigger part of the training puzzle than it is. Mm. So I see people with, you know, like two and a half, three-year-old dogs now that are still, you know, every meal the dog works for it and that kind of stuff. And like, not that there's anything wrong with that. There's That's fine. And so long as you are doing it correctly and it's all sweet. But then I made a joke about my Yeti dog bowls and how stupid and what a stupid investment they were. And so I was like, what, what, why do you even have dog bowls? I was like, cause I feed my dog, both my dogs from the dog bowl twice a day. Mm. Right. Because for me, food is mostly a, a, a thing I use with my dogs depending and every dog's different, but to train new behaviors. And so right now I'm not training anything new with those dogs when they were young that's when they're really learning. And I love food because it keeps the arousal level correct and yep. I can give the consequence of, of the dog wants to stop the session. Well, now I know like how much he really should be eating rather than, you know, like for me stopping us, if the dog checks out of the session and it's a food related session, stopping in that moment is not negative punishment. It's part of the conditioning process. Yeah. But stopping mm. in that moment is not negative punishment from taking away food because he checked out of the session. He never wanted that food anyway. Right? Mm. So there's lots of little things like that, but it's been interesting to see the way things have maybe misunderstood and maybe both of us could be guilty of this and everybody in the industry as well is when you really want to make a point, you can use some pretty strong language to make that point that might indicate the thing being more important or a bigger piece of the picture than it is. Yep. So for example, one of the things I've been sort of seeing and is we talk about don't, don't put too much control on young dogs and let them grow up, let them be dogs. But there's a sweet spot on that between letting them develop behavioral issues that are going to be long-term issues for you versus developing strength of character and mm. boldness and that kind of thing. So that's one of the, the spaces where I think that you do get rifts between people even in the industry mm. who perhaps see one coming and not the other. And so there's a lot of people who don't agree with that. We say don't put too much control work on young dogs and let them be bold and that kind of stuff. And it's because maybe they see or have seen plenty of people that in attempting to do that have really created the monster they didn't want. Yeah. And mm. ingrained behavioral problems. Right. So there's a fine line, I think between making a dog bold mm. and giving it like, Essentially, sometimes I think people are maybe even allowing and reinforcing reactivity issues that they think is maybe the dog just being bold and being, you know, courageous in that moment where it's like actually the dog needs some support in that moment. He's scared and some control in that moment, giving him a something to do would be more useful for that dog rather than just letting him cook off over there and bark at people and that kind of stuff. Because it looks like a dog that's just doing whatever it wants, barking at people, but that's a dog trying to solve a problem. And in that moment, some control work, giving that dog a function with that problem mm. would probably be more helpful to that dog in that moment. Do you think though that we haven't injected timely caveats along course, the way when we've been talking about those sort of things. Of course we do. I know that we do speak about those sort of things and I accept a degree of responsibility there. I do because we have talked about these things and they are open to interpretation. Mm. A lot of these things are and often will be open to misalignment when people are uh, digesting them and thinking, oh, 
that's what I've got to go and do. Mm-hmm. I would say that there's times in certain fields and hobbies that I've picked up where I've been, you know, flash watching something on the internet or YouTube or something like that. And I've gone, that's how it is. And I've gone away and go, that's not how it is. Mm-hmm. Like this doesn't make sense to me anymore. I'm lost. Because sometimes I think what happens is you digest what you think is appropriate at the yeah. time and then you don't listen to the the footnotes mm. or the cliff notes or whatever you want to call them. And then you're applying a principle that's sort of like half set yeah. or half understood. I think along those lines is, yes, there is always room to explain things better. I think the simple philosophy is, is that if you can't explain it simple enough, then you don't know it well enough. Of course. Which is something that I won't speak for you. I'll speak for me when I'm teaching students for argument's sake. I try and break it down as simply as I possibly can because I know that I'm getting a lot of people who are entering a market for the first time. This can be a really confusing minefield for them. There's so many philosophies and so many opinions and so many thoughts and so much provocation out there that when they get into this industry, people are going, no, 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 don't do it that way. No, no. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like a lot of this is ego based. So what I try and do is I say, this is not the only way. This is what you got to understand. It's not the only way. This is a way and this is designed for a scope of learning and it can be measured here and assessed here this way. That way I can get a group principle of how this applies. But when you go into the real world and when you start diversifying into the field that you want, then you can start thinking a little bit more dimensional. Mm-hmm. You can start looking at it more pragmatic and start to say, that was great to get me started, but it's not where I want to end. Mm-hmm. So we do explain that caveat to people is this is a way, not the way. Mm. And I think when I work with great trainers, and that does indicate to me a level of greatness, is that they don't say it's my way or the highway. They indicate that there are there are a lot of ways to do it. You know, when you're talking about the use of food or to use it or to not use it or when to wean and when to change it, et cetera, et cetera. I think it falls under a principle that we try and apply quite regularly is use what works. Mm. That's the simple philosophy which opens a shit ton of can of worms, but it still is a principle that I, you know, like when people have come back to me and said, Glenn, you explained something to me. It's just not working the way you explained it to, but I listened to this YouTube video or I went, I was at this seminar and, you know, they explained it to me and it seems to work really well with my dog. What should I do? And I said, I don't even believe you're asking me this question. I appreciate it, but you should use what works. Like it's, that's working. That's the alignment that you and your dog need because for some reason, both of you understand that. Mm. And that really needs to get into the pore of what you're doing in training is, you know, if something's not working a certain way or you're ready to change out of it, like the migration is there and the stars have all aligned in your training program, then change. Yeah. It's time to. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm totally on board. And I think I think for the most part, most people who don't have giant egos in the industry or really are into it for the benefit of the students and the, therefore the dogs say the same sort of thing. Mm. And I think we usually do give a lot of those kind of caveats whenever we give specific advice or we talk about a specific training topic. And I try certainly to do that when I'm teaching live to people. But what I'm kind of more concerned about is that misunderstanding in spite of all of that. Yep. Because it can be hard to read the difference. And and like I say, with that, sticking with that same example of build a bold dog, but like not a problem dog, right? Yeah. Is sometimes if you don't have, if it's your first dog and you go, okay, like I'm going to build him up because I suppressed my other one and this is the one I'm going to build up because I want to do cool things with. If you're not quite at the level to see like, hey, that's not boldness, that's nerve. Yep. And that's an issue you're going to have to help the dog through rather than let the dog just do that, right? 
that's the tricky sort of really nuanced 1% kind of stuff that mm. gets, there's, there's no way to get ahead of that. And it's tricky, no matter how good you are explaining things and the correct language that you use, there's always the possibility of misinterpretation. Yep. And when we explain things, certainly this is the case, how I feel when we talk on this podcast and when you're teaching for real, is that you maybe are on a story arc, right? And you've got a 30 second point that you're actually going to give a better opportunity for someone to understand it over a five minute story. Mm. And if you lose them in that five minutes and all they hear is the punchline, you're like, okay, so you got it all right. And then they're like, yeah, I got it. And they think they did, but there was maybe there was detail that got overlooked. Yeah. So you could imagine like maybe that there's probably people that listen to this show and they're like, whenever I talk, they skip and they wait for you to talk. And then there's probably people that do the opposite. Right. But then they will hear bits and pieces and then not know the full context in which it was given. Similarly, you might hear something say on this podcast or, you know, when you're learning from someone in real life where you're distracted in that moment while they're talking about one particular thing, you're in your car, you're driving along and you're like, wait, do I turn left or right here? And you you sort of have to figure out you're looking for the right address or whatever, you know, you're doing whatever. Mm. And then you miss a piece of information that is the caveat of us going, but but be careful when you do this, right? Yeah. And then it's the same when you're teaching live. They, you know, might be off with the fairies during that 30 seconds. No, they're thinking about, you know, it's one of the things I noticed at the seminar we just did, there was a big accident on the highway, right? And what happened was a lot of people were late because of that. So we started late, but everybody has their coffee at like nine o'clock getting ready because we thought we we're going to start at nine. Right. And so then as we started at nine 30, my normal schedule, I didn't stick to the normal break schedules as I would by time. I stuck to it by like content in the seminar, which means that the first break wasn't at 10 30 when it normally is. It was more sort of after 11. And what I noticed, because then, right, this is at the start where we're laying the foundation of everything is people need to go to the bathroom because they've been drinking coffee all morning and mm. they need to go pee. So there were lots of people getting up and leaving. And for me standing out the front, I was like, First of all, I was like, what the fuck is everybody getting up for? And then I realized that I, I even am, I need to go pee, right? Mm. So it's a little detail like that, but I'm thinking I had to stop and change my whole routine because I was like, this is important information that normally everybody is fresh. That's why like when I deliver the stuff, the first hour is the most important hour because I know you're fresh, right? Yep. And so that's where I give a lot of heavy content. And if people are leaving in that heavy content moment, like if you miss bits of this, then what we're going to talk about later isn't going to make any sense to you. Mm. And it's just because we started half an hour late and that meant that people needed breaks earlier. And I had to like radically rearrange some of the stuff and then read the crowd and go, Hey, we'll stop now instead. Like I know that this is a weird place to stop mid sentence like this, but I've just seen four people get up and leave to go to the bathroom and that is indicative of the people who are willing to do that. Now there's other people sitting here thinking about how much they need to go to the bathroom, wondering if they can miss this information and then missing the information because they're wondering, right? So it's like little shit like that. Those tiny little 1% of nothings, like who gives a shit people need to go to the bathroom? But you're like, yeah, but that's happening at a moment where if they miss this information, they can't understand the other information. Mm. And then those, it, it won't all be in sync for them. These are the people that will then miss the part where I say, if you're training with food, you must do this to be in this system. And they miss the if, they just come in for the you must do this. And then six months later, you're like, why are you doing that? They're like, because you fucking told me to. And it's like, well, I did say that, but with some caveats you didn't hear or didn't pay attention to or weren't in the room for. So it's tricky, man. Like it's it's a really 
It's I think science. It's, yeah, well, I mm. think that's the trouble when you take people's word for anything is that their word is, even if they're 100% correct and they're 100% true, mm. if you're misapplying it, then you can really get yourself into some hot water or, you know, create yourself a problem when the, if the original source had the opportunity to then see what you're doing, they might be like, oh, no, 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 that, that's, that's wrong. You're doing the wrong thing. And you might uh, truly believe that you're doing exactly as they would have instructed you to do in that moment, but there's just one tiny little piece that's not correct or has changed or, you know, anything like that. And I think it speaks to the importance of what we originally were going to talk about is that, like, knowing the whole history of the dog. Mm. Reflecting back on your earlier conversation, like there is a massive science behind crowd control and I'll mm. call it crowd control because it doesn't matter whether you're doing seminar or teaching or anything like that. Like I've been teaching students now for 15 years. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time. And in that time, you spend a large amount talking about the subject matter, which is dog training mm-hmm. or the behavior of dogs or whatever it may be. But in that time, you're also learning how to not manipulate. That's a poor choice of words, but control your crowd, Mm -hmm. you know, like understanding what keeps them awake, what stops them from fidgeting, you know, like all those little nuances you're talking about with toilet times and so forth. Because as Narelle's been getting into the market and doing her seminars and so forth, I've been in the background coaching on how to do it, you Mm -hmm. know, like because Narelle is that sort of person who just wants to drive through, like everything's important. She wants everyone to know all the important things. And yet I'm standing up the front watching and and looking at how the crowd are reacting to her, you know, when they're getting restless and when we're in the car driving home or sitting in here eating dinner or something like that and we're going through the feedback, I usually say, you know, this is what you need to change next time you do it. Like you need to be more aware of this. Just before the break, put them on a cliffhanger, you know, let them go to the toilet, let them have the break. So when they come back, they want to run back to their seats. It's the same thing I do with teaching all the time is I say, and I'll tell you that as soon as we come back from a break. Yeah. And you hear, because we're just getting into the meat of it. Mm-hmm. If you don't do those little things, people will linger back slowly. You know, they, they're they catching up with each other outside. But when you do things, like, you know, just little pieces like this, people will go, okay, we're ready. You know, like I want to hear what's the next part. Yeah. And then you get them back and you get them motivated or like even when, for argument's sake, if I can see people getting really tired and stressed because they've been doing eight days or or, you know, like we're, or we're into day five and it's long days with lots of theory and, you know, a lot of marching around on the fields and so forth. Get up, stretch, exercise, you know, like do some role play, some fun stuff, you know, like get involved in it. There is a need to identify that there are things that need to be done for the crowd to help the crowd, yeah. you know, be at their best so they can then take all the information in that you're going to load them up with. And when you're doing things like seminar, you know, like this is knowledge in a can. This is compressed knowledge in a can that you're like pumping into people in two days, which is taking you, you know, it's part of a life journey and an evolution that you're going through. And then you're saying to them, okay, I've got two days to jam you know, like compress this massive file into your head, Mm. okay, and then you've got to digest it. There was a good meme, and I I bastardized it last time I attempted to try and do it, and I still haven't remembered what it is, but it goes along the lines of, I can show you what it is, I just can't make you understand it. Yeah, yeah. When you get into the meat of that, that literally translates to, 
there are so many things that I've seen people translate to me. And I'm, I know I bore people to death talking about my guitar journey, but I'm watching people all the time. Like literally every night I'm watching different players from around the world with their different techniques. And yes, they can show me how to do that. But when I get on there and, you know, like my fingers are going up and down the fretboard, it looks nothing like what they're doing, Yeah. even though they're saying this is what you need to do day one, day two. And I'm sitting there going, son of a bitch, it just doesn't work like that. So back into dog training, it's the same sort of thing. It doesn't always just immediately translate. Like this is a work in progress. Yeah. And the one thing that you can't lose sight of is that the people who are showing you how easy it is with their magic fingers now – or with their incredible ability to train dogs. Like there was a lot of frustration that bled into that and a lot of lost hours and a lot of head scratching and a lot of, you know, ringing a mentor. Like we've said before, even mentors have mentors. Mm -hmm. And I still find myself, again, not speaking for you, but I'm sure you find the same thing, is that when you're lost and you're at a crossroads, that's time to dial a friend. You know, Mm -hmm. like ring somebody and say, mate, I'm lost, you know, can I buy some of your time or can we exchange some ideas or think tank this because I'm completely out of my field here, Mm. which is what people, you know, like if people are coming to your seminar or anybody's seminar or workshop or schooling or whatever it is, they do need to understand that there is a lot of information. There's a lot of data dumping that's going on at that point in time. And what they do need to do is then it's one of the principal rules that we talk about in training is that you have to break it down incrementally into a process where you can understand That's what I need to work on right now because before I can even link anything to that, I really need to get the processes down on that. Like I've identified there's a problem, all right, and if I can't work through this myself, that's the time I've got to show someone, you know, like this is what I'm doing so far. And that's the importance when people are calling you or anyone else and just saying, I'm stuck, Mm. you know, especially if it's a method that you're teaching other people is sometimes they just need to get in touch with you and just say, I'm stuck at this point. What's the missing connector? Yeah. How do I link this into a a new chain because it's just not working so well? Yeah, totally. It's funny because, you know, you speak from your own perspective. So we talk about teaching crowds a lot. Yeah. Whereas it's all just as relevant when you talk about controlling those that group to maximize their learning experience. It applies to whether you're teaching group classes and or there's the, multiple people or the individual there, or the individual. It's yep. setting your learner up for success. Mm. And that's what we know of dog training. You know, like you would never dream of trying to give a dog, you know, teach a complex behavior to a dog in a in a we just can't in a distracted environment, right? Yeah. So like where there's multiple things going on. And I mean distraction, like not just motivator. You know, I always try and draw that distinction and I have a big part that I explain about it where I don't believe it's very difficult to distract a dog. Most of the time when people say that their dog is distracted, he's actually just motivated towards something else, mm. not not what you have. So you know, if there's people in a crowd of people and someone brings their dog in and the dog doesn't want the food and they're like, oh, he's distracted. I say, no, he's motivated to go see those people. This is novelty to him and he wants to go do it. I think that if he like had a sore leg or something, that would be distracting, right? But so we set the dog up and the learners for success. And then when you're in someone's home and their dog is barking and they're embarrassed by the dog's behavior, that's why they've got you there. Or the dog's doing various things in the house. They're Mm. just not in a position to listen to you. And it's the same with group classes when this is one of the things with puppy classes. Why I think is I've encouraged people in the past and I've seen other people that do it with huge success to do a week of puppy class where there's no puppies. Because when someone's just got their eight week old puppy and they go into a room with 10 other eight-week-old puppies, even if you're the best at managing the class and you don't do that crazy uncontrolled play 
nonsense that a lot of people do in the puppy class. Like even if you do everything right and you make everybody sit apart and the, the dogs don't interact or whatever until it's like super controlled, everybody's just looking at the, all these cute puppies it's, in the room. It's just a massive socialization yeah. effort. That's that's and, what it is. And all you, all that's happening, I'm telling you, is people look around and they go, geez, I'm happy with my breed choice or I'm unhappy with my breed choice because they're looking at all these other little puppies and like they're reading deeply into, of course, yeah, that's a snapshot in time of that puppy. But then they're like, oh, that puppy is this. We should have got that breed or I'm happy we got this one. Or they're thinking about how cute they are in comparison mm. to theirs. And they're thinking about how badly they want to get their phone out and take a bunch of Instagram photos because- <laughs> This is going to get the followers and the likes up so high. Yeah. And you're out the front and everybody's smiling and looking like they're having a good time. And you're out the front dropping knowledge bombs that just may as well be fucking thrown down the toilet. It it just wisps into the ether. Yeah. And so it's, I feel like the, the people you see who now do puppy classes without the dog the first week. And even if it's like in the first week you do two sessions because they come in one day without the dog and then the next, or yeah, there's a few different ways I know people that do it. It, they're super successful because people will, can actually listen. Yeah, right? they can actually pay attention, and you can you can front load all the information, even if it's a shorter session than what it would normally be. You can be like bang, 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 bang. Here's all the facts. Here's the curriculum. Here's what we're going to do and why we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And you can then get through to people when we do bring in our dogs tomorrow or next week or whenever it is. We're going to. Uh, the reason we're not going to just let them all interact is because we don't want uncontrolled play. We don't want the bully of the group to become more of a bully and the the timid little doggy to become even more timid. We want to make sure that everybody has a positive experience here. Socialization means work around other other dogs, not play with other dogs, you Mm. know, like all these sorts of things that you can then actually explain to people and have them go, yeah, cool. Got it. I'll listen to you now and I'll do that when we have it tomorrow. But if you try and say at the start, it's not that they're ignoring you. They never fucking heard you. They just can't hear you. They can't hear you through the motivation and the distraction that's going on in their head at the time, yeah, exactly. which is fundamentally whenever I'm, because class instruction is a core of the NDTF course. Uh-huh. Like that's something that they're assessed at the end. So they have to break it down into components where they go through work, health and safety. They have to go through amenities that are available, then do a talk on equipment and how to select appropriate equipment for what they're doing, and then go into a teaching phase exercise and a training phase exercise. But One of the things that we explain to them thoroughly at the start is if you're bringing someone to your center, the level of distraction that's going on at the head of the time and what they're going to gain and what they're going to miss. So one of the things is we tell them right up front is now we've got all this technology with Vimo and YouTube and so forth is send them a YouTube video of you saying, hi, I'm going to be your instructor or these people are, you know, this is the team that's coming down. Before you come down here, there's a couple of things you you need to know. Like these are the center rules. Like explain that. Make it a three to five minute video that quickly goes through what to expect when they come down and how to do clicker acquisition. So before they come down, rather than do it there where you're losing a whole bunch of time explaining, you know, the center rules to people where they're all yawning and falling asleep or looking at all their other dogs – get into the meat of it of what they need to know prior yeah. to coming down, you know, like all the WHS and rules that apply to them, like what clothing to wear, what to bring with them on the day, what they need to know about how the center operates and so forth. Like get that out of the way, make it interesting enough that they want to watch it. You know, it's the same thing where airlines. Yeah. The at, safety video at the safety video, you know, like they're making it fun and they're making it interactive and they're injecting humor into it because 
you know, they're right. I mean, people just sit in there and they get their iPhone out and they start looking at it straight away yeah. and they're not paying attention to something that could potentially save their life because yeah. they think, oh, I've seen this before. Mm. But they're trying to condition you that if in case of an emergency, this is what you need to do, you dickhead. Like, mm. you know, like you'll be running around screaming, killing half the people on board by accident because yeah. you'll be charging up the front and and creating blockades and so forth. And people need to know this at, at the training centres as well. Like when yeah. you're coming down, this is what you do, this is how you do it. And then when you can get down, we can do more of the pragmatic side of it rather yeah. than, than have to spend 15 minutes of making you fall asleep with all the theory that you, you yeah. do need to know. Yeah. Well, I think there's there's just so much to be said for setting your learner up for success. And we know that in dog training and mm. everybody, you know, if you're a good dog trainer, that's what you're doing. Yep. But then remembering that more often than not, if you're a dog trainer, you're a people trainer more. If you're doing in-home behavior modification, that kind of stuff, that initial consult where you need to get the truth from the people, you really need to know what's going on. Yeah. There's a, there's a skill to that. There's kind of an art to being non-judgmental so Mm -hmm. that people will tell you the truth. You know, you want to, you're in their home. A lot of people, you know, not that many people have strangers come into their home. It's very weird that a, like a person they've never met before have no social connection to is in their home sitting there drinking coffee with them. And right? then you're going to be trusted with their dog, like yeah. managing, handling. Yeah, that's a big deal. That like, is that's a, a big really deal. big deal. And I think that we overlook that. And and it's not until, because as a dog trainer, you're doing that every day to someone, right? Mm. You're in someone's house and it's no biggie. But you've got to consider, like, imagine if the guy who was going to read your meter, your electricity meter, you had to let him in. And he had to sit there at your kitchen and talk to you about the personal things going on. in <laughs> yeah. and, and whatever your struggle is at that moment, like he wants to know how come you're using so much electricity. Mm. Like he wants to know, like, well, show me all your appliances. Why is this happening? Oh, you're using this. You should be using like, And he's going to dive into your life. That would be a really uncomfortable thing to happen. And as dog trainers, we're doing that to people every day. Yeah, it's gentle so- interrogation. But so we become numb to it, like how bizarre a situation that is because you did, I did it to two people this morning. I'm going to do it to five more people this week, right? Mm. Like it's no big deal. That's what you're, that's what you're thinking. But to them, it's like, there's a strange person who's essentially interrogating me Mm. sitting here and asking me very personal questions about like, where does my dog sleep? And what's my, what's kind of schedule do I keep? And what happens with my family members throughout the day? Mm -hmm. Like those are, security based questions that some people will be have a hard time answering, but also like really personal stuff because you say, you know, imagine it, it, it's vulnerability. That's what it is. It yeah. opens up a lot of vulnerability. Yeah. And so, but imagine, you know, you're dealing with someone who has had to leave the workforce for whatever reason. Mm. And when you say, Oh, you know, when you guys go to work and they say, well, I don't go to work and you go, Oh, you work from home. And they're like, no, I don't work. And you don't know what kind of fucking wound you might accidentally be picking at there. Mm. Like you have no idea. Imagine that's like some horrific workplace injury, bullying, harassment, whatever. And you're like, Oh, you don't work. Good for you. That's great. And you don't like, you don't know like, Oh, I can't because of whatever reason or like, you just don't know what you're uncovering in that Mm. moment. And that's why I think as trainers, we should, it's probably, Hey Bertie, this is, I think she does this exactly. This is the original course that she did was how to talk to people and how to get that interrogation without being intrusive and get the truth out of them and, and give them information without putting them offside. That's a difficulty we all have to face. But I think knowing that and setting our learners up for success and acknowledging for this first 20 minutes that I'm here, the dog is not my learner. Mm. This 
person, this owner, this handler is my learner. I need to set this session up. This is not a dog training session. This is a people training session. I need to, I need to have the right reinforcers. I need to limit the distractions. I need to set the environment up for success. Mm. So a lot of the time, you know, when I used to do in-home behavior stuff with aggressive dogs, people would like, I would never go to the house to start with. I would meet them down the street or, you know, at the the local cafe or wherever and no Mm. dog because they will let, like you talk about the dog without having to manage the dog. And then, then we come up with a plan from there and usually it's right away. Okay, cool. We're going to go home. I'm going to walk in with you or you're going to put the dog away and then I come in or, you know, whatever, whatever is appropriate. But the idea of me just meeting someone at their house with their aggressive dog and knocking on the door and then them telling me that it's this issue that I'm looking at right now when he knocks on the door, like, and, and I've just set the dog up, like, unless I want to see it, if they've told me about it, then we might do that. Right. But I just going in blind like that is not setting the learner up. And in this case, I'm not talking about the dog. I'm talking about the human mm. to, you know, take on what we're going to say, or even be in a position to, not just accept what we're going to say as being relevant information. And you got to establish yourself as a person that is worth listening to. And you got to, you know, deliver your information in a way that can be received. There's all those issues, but first you just have to make them even fucking able to do it. Because mm. if the dog's barking the whole time and you, they can't even hear you. Like That's I've been right. in that situation where Absolutely. the dogs, you know, the kitchen, you're sitting there, they're like, Oh, you want a coffee? You're sitting there in the kitchen and the dog is just bang, bang, bang at the back door barking and nobody can even hear you, even if they could tune that out and not worry, just acoustics doesn't work that way, right? Even in situations like that, and I know full well what you're saying because I've been in those same sort of situations where you can just see the person is not taking in this valuable information, like they're angry and they're resentful because the dog is behaving like this. Yeah. And you can see them looking at you, but you can see – like their brain just shifting in like you bastard dog, like yeah. showing me up in front of the trainer and yeah. so forth. There are times where I'm having a conversation and I say, I know where your mind is going yeah. and they start smiling. And I said, look, you don't have to worry about anything. I'm your agent. I'm here to serve you. I understand this. This is why I'm here. You can relax. Just let this happen. It's not bothering me. It doesn't need to bother you. It's okay. It's part of the process. Let's just concentrate on what it is. And you can see sometimes they relax into that and you can see them like drop their shoulders and they go (sighs) like that. It's like, oh, thank God, you know, like a weight lifted. Because you can see them like that. I know people can't see what I'm doing, but they clench their fists. So when you're watching a large part of what's happening with their body, you can see them like they're tensing, their shoulders rise. Mm -hmm. Like you can see them gritting their teeth and all sorts of manifestations come over them. Like the person that greeted you at the door is not the person that's sitting at the table with you. Like this is the person saying, this dog is fucking destroying me, like killing my life. Can't you see? And I'm saying, I can see. Yeah. I can see what's got you so upset and and it's okay. This is something that we together can fix, but don't be so overwhelmed by it right now because it doesn't bother me anywhere near what you think it does. In fact, it doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. It's just part of what I understand. Yeah. And, that, you know, like there have been times recently where that same sort of thing happened. And I was smiling when you were talking about that story because I was with a lady. This is before things broke down so bad, but I was with a lady in Bondi and I could see her doing the same thing. Like her pupils were dilating. Like she was almost bursting into flames. She was so upset by the dog. And I said, I live at a boarding kennel. And I've got anywhere between 80 and 250 dogs in my backyard at any one time. I have to get up in the middle of the night sometimes, like I did the last couple of nights, because, you know, full moon and lots of dogs were coming My in. asshole dog down there. Yeah, uh, Remy wasn't too bad. He was oh, being, really? Yeah, Remy's been good. 
But there was noise. There was a new nervous dog in that was really quite agitated, so much so that, you know, the neighbor rang and said, there's a really noisy dog in. So we, you know, like they're things that we have to do. And as, as I explain, and I've explained to people before, like these things do happen. Yeah. And But I get it. I am very aware of this. And even though this is annoying you, I'm immune to it. It's not bothering me. And if we need to go somewhere else or we need to, you know, I like, I do like what you said before, you know, there, there has to be times where part of the consultation needs to go ahead out of the home, mm. like it needs to be in a neutral environment where the person can relax. Yeah, and even if it's just out the front on the street. Exactly. You know, or go for a walk or something like that down the park or whatever you need to do. A lot of the times prior to me doing this, I get them to email me. So I just said to them, we can talk on the phone, but you'll miss things. And what I want you to do is send me a detailed e- yeah. email because the devil is in the detail. Yeah. And that way you can tell me the story about what you know. And if you need to amend it before you send it, you can do, or you can add something to it. And we can have a like a pre-conversation before I turn up at the door and we go through the pragmatic side of it. But, you know, like in essence, that's one thing that I try and explain to people very clearly. And it's not just a dog training thing. It's a life skill as well is the devil is in the detail. And it really is an important aspect of when you're really trying to explain a situation or understand a situation, this is where we've crafted this episode to go in. It's sort of taken a track of its own. Mm. So we might need to do the next topic in in the next episode we do. But this has evolved into something which is actually really important because it's something that has affected thousands of people, not just the people that we meet, but it affects the clients of trainers that we talk to locally, nationally, and around the world, these same things are happening. When I've traveled to different countries and spoken to people who are, you know, like when I was in the UAE, same thing when you're talking to people over there, we think it's only something that affects us. It's not. It affects everybody in all different trades and all different circumstances. These skills themselves in, in your journey and your evolution of becoming a better person, a better educator, a better trainer, This is really what sets you aside from other people who are able to transcribe information. Yeah. It's very important. Well, I think, and, you know, dog trainers should be really good at this because they have the skills. Yes. Right? They just have it into dogs. And you've just got to remember, like, all the principles that you apply to dogs work on mammals. Yes. In general, right? For the most part. So. It's one of the things, if you're if you're in someone's home and you're sitting there and the dog's barking and then they mid-sentence or mid-listening to you, you can see they're distracted by it and they, they turn their head and yell at the dog to shut up. Imagine you are in the park or in your training environment, there's a dog barking in the background and you've, you're training a reactive dog to, you're just loading markers, establishing a foundation and that dog is intermittently being, you know, barking at the other dog and being reactive in that moment you would look at that situation as a dog trainer and go, okay, I have to change the environment. I have Mm. to reduce the criteria. I have to, like, I have to set this up for success because this is overwhelming. This is not, I am not going to get a positive I'm over the threshold here. It's not working. Yeah. Mm. And so that exact same thing that every dog trainer would do, there's not a single dog trainer I know that's going to be trying to load markers while the dog's busy barking at another dog. They're going to go, okay, we need to remove the dog from this situation, whether we control that other dog, that our dog, change the environment, lower the level of arousal implement the skills that we need this dog to have, Mm. then use those skills to fix the issue. That's what every dog trainer does with the dog. They look at that, they go, that's common sense, Pat. What do you think? I am a fucking moron. Of course I'm going to do that. And then we go, yep. (laughs) So now, (laughs) got it. Awesome. 
Not yep, like you're a moron, but yep, got it. Yep. Now we need to do that to the owner of the dog Mm. and go, hey, you're not ready to hear the basics in this moment. We're ready to use them. This is the circumstance where we would use the things that I'm going to explain to you, Mm. but you need to learn them first. This is one of the interesting things. I was talking to Casey who, you know, Casey who was here on Clubhouse all the time, Lion Tiger Trader. We got to get on the show. Who we were supposed to try and get on last yeah. week. But do you guys meet? Uh, no, there? I didn't meet until the seminar because okay. it just didn't line up. Yeah. One of the things was I was scared to hang around in Brisbane and you never knew what could happen. So I wanted to, I only stayed in Brisbane two days and then I went up to Sunshine Coast because I just wanted to be where I needed to be to reduce the, the chances <laughs> of me not being able to travel anymore. Yep. And I hardly went anywhere because I just wanted to make sure that I didn't expose myself to anything. Cause I was like, I'm committed to this. Like yes. I've, I've left my family for a week of nothing. I'm making sure that. Yeah, I know you really had to radically alter your life for that whole week. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I, I was talking about this with Casey about, you know, content and stuff, right? Like, and how to make online content. And the issue is like before and after videos are cool, right? Everybody likes to see, especially when you deal with nervous reactive dogs, that kind of stuff. But me and Jazz have talked about this at length as well. I get the value of those kind of things. But what about the meat in the middle? Yeah, but but mm. no, but even just even if you want to show the whole process, but the thing is like from the second I engage with the dog, we're into the training. So there's no fucking way I'm going to say to someone, "Hey, let's just get my camera out and film your dog doing all these self-reinforcing behaviors that you have employed me to stop." There's no way I can in good conscience go, "Let me make your problem worse." so that I can get cool social media content and show me fixing it. And it will then make my job of doing it even, of fixing it even harder. And I think when we turn up into people's homes, especially even if it's like basic stuff, Mm. dog jumps all over people, that kind of stuff. And then, you know, as a dog trainer, you go in there and the people say, oh, wow, like he doesn't do it around you. Like, that's amazing. And like, it's like, why won't he do it? Like, and, and they can't possibly know you're stopping that happening right there and then by the way you posture. Mm. But with intention, it's yeah. not that it's just not happening. With intention, you're making sure it never happens. And then if the dog jumps all over grandma and knocks her down the street, when you go in right from the get-go, you're going to be putting subtle pressure on that dog so that the moment he goes to jump, you're like, hey, don't do it. Like right, you, right from the get-go and you're reinforcing when he's not doing it and that kind of stuff mm. from the jump. Because you know it's only going to make your life harder. If you allow him to do that shit all over you, now you're just one of the others and you are going to have to have a harder time doing this kind of thing, right? Mm. And so that's the same when you're in someone's home. I don't want to be there while they're saying, they're explaining the behavioral problems that I'm witnessing. I'm like, hey, let's talk about that. You can tell me about it and now we're going to get in at the very, like when the dog is here, now we're going to get in at the earliest presence of that problem. Like before you would eat, like for me as a professional, I can read in the dog is about to happen. The thing you told me, I can see it coming. Mm. I'm not going to let it happen because it's self-reinforcing. Like everything that the dog is doing, he's doing for a reason. I need to stop him from being able to do it and then reinforce him when he doesn't do it. Mm. That's behavior modification. And and if you want me to help in this, especially if we're going to take the dog away from you and do this training away and whatever, like I don't want to keep digging the hole any deeper. The second I get the chance, I'm like, hey, stop digging. Let's start filling in the hole. And to stand there with the camera while the dog's doing it is, it's just outrageous to me that I would do that. I get clients to do that for me. Like, because yeah, sure. The, get the, them to do yeah, it. Yeah, because the same thing happens. Like, And that's happened over 
a multitude of years. And if you're not learning by that, then you're not progressing into what you're just talking about. So there have been times where people have said to me, oh, it's not happening now that you're here. And we understand that. It's because of the presence. You know, we go in there, the dog sizes you up and goes, oh, I, I can't do this with you. I can't get away with that. Mm. So many years ago, as soon as we had the capability of being able to film things on phones, that's what I used to say to people is, if you or your partner can film the behavior before I get there, yeah. and that way I can sit down in a lounge room and have a look at you. And, you know, that might be a part of, the consultation is us looking at the video and talking about what we need to do here before I even meet the dog. Mm. You know, like I need to have a look at that and analyze what's actually going on so I can see the problem through your eyes because I guarantee you we probably won't be able to recreate that when I turn up. In fact, the dog's going to be on its best behavior because it's going to think, oh, he's a strange person with presence. I can't behave like that. Yeah. And therefore you're going to be trying to recreate it, yeah. which is going to cause the problem exactly. for me. And that's not, training that's untraining yeah you know like you're basically saying come on dog do the thing that you do yeah. I, you know like i want you to do it and the dog goes oh so you want me to be the villain yeah. which is part of recreation when we go in there you know and i said when we like when i and when the trainers come around there and so forth we're not immediately going to be able to address this problem we just need to go through a management plan of what you can do but then what i can do is start to layer in other important behaviors or gaps that I can see that are existing in your training program right now yep. where, you know, like I might say, well, you have no markers or you have no personal space or you don't have a concept of a setup of, of a relationship between a dog and an owner. And this is what we all need to establish right here. So really what we're doing is we're recreating foundations and we're yep. rebuilding from there. Yeah, totally. The principle for me, I just keep harping back to it, is just setting that learner up for success. Exactly. And, and, but acknowledging that unless you are just a straight dog trainer, like in the facility or preparing dogs or whatever, seldom is the dog your learner, mm. right? Like it's usually the, the person, the owner, the handler to start with. Yep. Then maybe the dog. Then probably after the dog, once you get that that handler and that dog together, then the whole family or whoever else lives with and will interact with the dog all have to come on board. Yeah. And so you're kind of bouncing around between who is my learner. It's the the initial contact, then it's the dog, then it's the family, and 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 often in that order, but maybe in a different order as well, right? Like you, it just depends on how you're going to interact with these people. You're only truly a dog trainer in this industry if you're doing boarding and training. Yeah. Because the rest of the time, even though- you Even think, then, you still got to interact with the people. You do, lot. but it's limited. When you're doing boarding and training, the usual average day is around about three weeks. Mm -hmm. You do have to interact with people, but the percentages are changed. Mm. Like when you go around and you do consultation, like you're spending a majority of the time, like four-fifths of that lesson is spent- consulting with the person, like educating them. This is what you need to do. You know, I'll show you a little bit. I want to watch you do it. And you're tutoring them. And that's what you should do because you need to empower them. This is, you know, teach them to fish. Whereas when you're in boarding and training, like you and the dog are with each other, yeah. you know, like for 21 days. Yeah. So you're literally backwards and forwards with the dog that entire time. That's not meant as an insult to anybody. Like when I've said that to people in the past, you can see them go, oh, Oh, yeah. And, you know, like they get all wounded and hurt. But the reality is that doesn't mean that you're not a dog trainer involved in sculpting and helping change the life of a dog. Yeah. But you're not involved in a lot of that. The person is the one that you need to be yeah. focusing you're the your coach of a dog. Trainer. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and that's again, that's that biblical philosophy of rather than give them a fish, teach them to fish. Like that's what you have to do is yeah. it's pointless going around there and saying, let me take the dog and let me show you how it's done. You yeah. know, like 
I can assume the mantle right now and and leave you sitting there lingering but smiling and clapping gleefully that you saw your dog do something amazing yeah. but can't replicate it. Yeah. What a fucking ass. Yeah. All you've done is just destroyed that person's confidence because yeah. then they go, oh, so I am really a piece of shit and I can't train my dog. Really, what it needs to be is we need to migrate this. We need to say, okay, me and you, this is an exchange here. I'm going to empower you today, but we're going to do it gently and we're going to do it incrementally. Yeah. It's funny one. This is a, another conversation I had with someone on the weekend. We we're talking about when people come into the industry and they're like, oh, you know, I'm really excited. I want to be a dog trainer because I just don't like dealing with people. And I, I remember saying to someone once when they said that to me, like, what industry are you coming from? I won't say for real who it was, but it's like, yeah, what industry are you coming from? Oh, accounting. I'm like, make sure you maintain those accounting skills. Because yep. like- You're going to you, be doing your book. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, but like- you're going to be out of, you're only be a dog trainer for two years yeah. because when you realize how many people you're dealing with, like mm. if you're coming, if you're, if you're leaving your current industry because you don't want to deal with people and you're coming into the dog training industry because you think you're just going to get to play with puppies and train dogs all day, like, but, oh. like make sure you maintain those other skill sets. Don't become redundant in that industry because you're going back to it. Well, if you, you really want to do that, go clean kennels because yeah. then you really don't have to deal with it. Yeah, and there are jobs, that, like for sure there are jobs within the industry where you really are just a dog trainer, right? Yeah. Like you, you just train dogs and don't ever interact with another person. But that's you usually, you, first of all, you've got to work for someone else to do that. Yep. Unless like, I suppose in that space, there's people who just raise dogs to sell. That's yep. a different thing. You can you can do that without having to interact with clients. There are there are holes, but yeah, I mean, there's, they're there's, usually filled by people who are very skilled as yeah, well. Yeah, that's right. They're not they're not the entry level jobs. That's right. right? Yeah, the, that's something, that's a rite of passage. Yeah. yeah. And so even if you work for someone else in a boarding kennel, like part of your job is going to have a customer interaction. Absolutely. You can't it, avoid right? it. And yeah. also, but there's team interaction as well. Like yeah. you've, you've still got to work with, you know, so the trainers here still have to work with management. They still have to be managed by, you know, like they've got me, they've got to answer to because I'm the training director for the organization. Then they've got to deal with the resort manager. Yeah. Then they've got to deal with their supervisor, which is Kana. Then they've got to deal with each other. So they've got to come together for training sessions with each other to upskill themselves and so forth. They've got to deal with the kennel techs and attendants. Yeah. And also then they've got to do handbacks with clients and there are so many multiple points where they're interacting with each other. So people who are trying to escape something, you know, like escape human interaction, sometimes find that there's more human interaction. However, there is a caveat to that. Like the people that are doing that feel more at home because they feel that they're they're speaking to people who understand a lifestyle and a language that they want to get away from. Like they're trying to escape a corporate world or they're trying to escape, you know, like a social situation that didn't bode well for them where they're going with other people. And, you know, like in some of those situations, they're all a bunch of escapees that all came together, yeah. which is kind of funny. And they, yeah. you know, it's, it's like that saying birds of a feather flock yeah, together. Yeah. This made a lot of sense to me when I was diving one day and I thought, you know what? And I, I know I've said this before, but all the bluefish hang together with the bluefish and the greenfish hang together with the greenfish, you know, and I know there's safety in numbers and everything, but they don't mingle together. It's not like, you know, like there's a big mess of array of them. They all stay with their little, little group, yeah. but they all find each other, you know, like it's amazing to see. And people are categorized like that as well. I see people come together who kind of try and resist this magnetic pull, but they find each other somehow. Mm. It's interesting. Yeah. It's a it's a funny industry. It is. It's an amazing array of different cultures and different behavioral patterns. There's so many things that 
can aggravate you about this industry, but there is so many more things that fascinate you about this industry. Like part of the fascination and part of my love for this industry is the people that I've met in it. Some of the greatest people I've ever met in my life are through this industry. Yeah, totally. Yeah. From my point of view, it's just that constant reevaluating and sharpening your skills in how well you are working as the instructor, the teacher, the coach, Mm. and just remembering that there's multiple layers to that. And like I say, I think just being really good teacher, that actually can be really dangerous if the content that you're teaching is not spot on. That's where I started in this, you know, in this episode thinking about, I've seen some stuff that's my fault and it's because people took on exactly what I said mm. rather than the overarching theme of what I said. And so then it's a constant of evolution. You know, you're dealing with your training dogs, you're training people, but just remembering that you're setting that learner, whatever it is, up for success and you're using the tools and the environment and everything that is going to maximize that, you know, and then readdressing and going, okay, you, this is no longer my learner. Now that the person has got the skills we're going to put into the dog, or at least will allow me to do the things like has an understanding of what's going on. You know, all those kind of things come together that it's a constant evolution for me anyway. It's a constant reevaluation and, and then course correction mm. to try and be as successful as possible. You just can't afford to be absolute in thinking. Yeah, totally. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think the more people you speak to, the more podcasts you listen to, the more learned people that you become, flexibility, vulnerability, you know, and openness to change and acceptability is a large part of the scheme that they've now realized this is how life has to be. Yeah. Is that, and I guess this is part of the ethos that we've discussed in many programs and even in just your pilgrimage through life is that you realize I need to be able to change when change is present. Mm. That sort of came up on the weekend quite a lot. You know, you talk about different techniques and that kind of stuff. And and I say, I don't do that, mm. but I'm okay with other people doing it. Or even like, I don't like that they're doing it there and then. But for me, it's rare that I would say nothing's off the table because I can paint a ridiculous hypothetical circumstance where I go like, okay, let's do that. Right? Like if there's no other way, then let's do that. So mm. that's why it's important to understand everything. I may not, I may never encounter that circumstance and hopefully I don't before I do all kinds of stuff. Right. And we're talking specifically about bonking. Oh um, yes. <laughs> and I was like, I've never done it. Yep. And I can't imagine that I we're ever We're not talking would. about bedroom bonking. We're no, talking no, about the, bonking rolled a up dog towel with a towel. Over the head. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, I've never done that. Yep. And I highly doubt that I ever will. But let's play the hypothetical game and I'll, we'll figure out the time that I do, right? Mm. Like, so you can't, like, that's why it's, I know about it. I know how to do it. I've never done it, but I'm aware of it. And I see the pros and cons. And I understand that, like, even if someone's doing something unsuccessful, even though there might be a giant list of cons, there has to be some pro, right? Like if it's working. And so I need to know that because I was teaching about it, not how to do it, but I was teaching something around it, right? And I was like, it's important you know that because in a ridiculous hypothetical world, that could happen, Mm. right? Like you could paint that picture, let's get crazy with it. And, you know, it's like when people like, how much, how much, like, would you cut off your own finger for a dollar? Of course not. Two dollars? Of course not. A hundred million dollars? I'll bite that motherfucker off for a hundred million dollars. Right. <laughs> but like, okay. Like uh. where is the point 
where you go, no, I won't. And then there's a dollar value where you go, yes, I will. Yep. Right? So, like, there's literally a dollar. There is. There is a dollar where you go, no, not enough. Mm -hmm. And then there's one more dollar where you go, yes, I'm going to do it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Yeah, of course. But so that's the same thing with all the dog training techniques that are out there. Yep. You say, nah, never going to do that. Oh, so I don't need to know anything about it or whatever. I don't need. And it's like, yeah, but. What about if this? What yep. about if this? And you just never know what's ahead of you. And and also I think it can be good to have that conversation with yourself so that you don't have to have it right there in the moment, mm. right? Like you've at least played that out and you can go, all right, well, I've I've been I've I've hypothesized this. This is the this is where I got to in the past, and I'm still saying no, or at this point I'm saying yes. It's incredible the bonking topic, what yeah. you're talking about before. I was talking about that with somebody or a group of people a while ago. And some of the people I used to hang around with many, many years ago, and one of them was watching me train a puppy with a rolled up tail. And they said, oh, I saw you bonk that puppy with the tail. And I said, that's perspective, dude. Like we were doing prey work and I was like tapping the puppy and getting the puppy interested in the tail and so forth like that. I wasn't bonking the dog over there. Teasing him with it. Teasing him with it, right. And they said, oh, but the rabbit never jumps in the wolf's mouth. And I said, shut up, you fucking idiot. Like you literally don't know what you're talking about. That was just an inconceivable conversation where people can just misalign everything so badly. And I said, what was the end result of that session? You were there. Like I know you were there watching the whole thing. Did you see that puppy grab the towel and, you know, like, and, and bite into it? And they said, yeah, but, you know, like, you're doing things that don't well. – and I said, we're not talking about a wolf, man. We're talking about a domestic dog in a situation yeah. where we're making this part of a play situation. That's a very interesting example. We're going to go longer because I want to unpack that. Yeah. There's no such thing as a suicide rabbit. That's true. Yeah. Right? That's what we say to people who are trying to jam things in the dog's mouth, and we say, hey, activate it with prey. There's no such thing as a suicide rabbit. Mm. But that tug is not a rabbit. And, the, and what's pursuing it is not a dingo or a wolf. Yeah. And the drives. So I'm, I say that to people all the time and there's value in that saying. Mm. But for someone that knows what they're doing, like you do, trying to just activate the prey and annoy the dog, you're using essentially like a little bit of negative reinforcement. And then the tool of negative reinforcement becomes the tool of prey when you like tap the dog with the towel and then go, hey, chase this thing that's annoying you. That is so much more complex than- there's no such thing as a suicide rabbit well, mm. because for starters, the real rabbit to the wolf or the dog, doesn't matter, brings more than just prey. Absolutely. His food as well. Yeah. Right. But he His also survival. wakes up something deeply yeah. entrenched in DNA. It's a whole different yeah. experience. For starters, he really is the prey, yep. not prey in the way that we say chase the thing that moves. Not play prey. <laughs> Prey as in like the thing you eat to survive. Thousands of years yeah. of ancestral DNA like like yeah. thriving and pulsating through your body. So then people say, you know, like in, in, no such thing as a suicide rabbit. Okay, yeah, but there's, there's other drives. There's hunger that is going to be satiated by the catching of that rabbit mm. and there's no hunger that's going to be satiated by biting that towel. Then there's – oh, man, I could go on about this for now, hours. Can I just insert a caveat there because – Somebody who's listening to that might think my earlier comment of telling that person to fuck off was pretty intense, but it was intolerable coming from the person it came from because they should know better. Yeah. Whereas if a a less educated person had said it, I would have been far more tolerant of it and I would have explained the situation to them. 
But given the education of the person, the time they've been in the industry, I found that like profoundly silly to say that comment yeah. when they were present to what happened and saw the end result, which was great. Yeah. You know, like the dog really responded well, bit deeply into it. And, you know, again, just to sideline that whole conversation, when I was working with the dog, because people are going to want to know the story now that I've brought it up. It was a part of negative reinforcement, but it was also a part of the dog was motivated between two different stimuli. So what I had to do was make this one more interesting and, you know, like jumping it around on the ground, got a bit of interest, then the dog moved back and people would say, well, you know, you should have selected the environment a little bit better. But I was deep into the weeds at that point in time. And yeah, I could have changed it, but tapping the dog with the towel, and I'm not talking about bonking. This is not bonking the dog. You know, like we were touching the dog on the side, like flicking it with the towel and suddenly it would go, oh, oh, it's alive. It's back again. Mm. You know, and it's touching me. It's changed the whole paradigm of what we're doing. Well, and this is the thing. Prey do that to the predators sometimes. Of course they They taunt them. And because there's the thrill of the escape. Yeah. So that really does happen. Mm. This is one of the things like, and and I I use that line all the time. No such thing as a suicide rabbit. I said it twice on the weekend. And I agree with that. I've never in my experiences, like I've seen rabbits and other animals freeze in the middle of something. Yeah. You know, like kangaroos will jump out in the middle of the road, then they'll just stop dead in the middle. So you just run over them, which, you know, like I understand they're days by lights or the whole different thing changes. But when I did my BH, a rabbit fucking taunted my dog while he was in the down. Mm. Like it, everybody watched it. It clearly, it wanted to be chased. Have you ever seen the Aussie man reviews one where the rabbit chases a snake around and tries to fend it away? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then similarly, you know, there's birds that, those minor birds that swoop, swoop down around. Yeah. And even when they're not near anything that like they are playing, mm. it is a game to them, a fucking high stakes game, yep. but a game nonetheless. Mm. And so it's funny when you're, Deep dive into it. Well, everything, like, it's one of the things I try and explain is, like, for everything that I say, there's no such thing as a suicide rabbit. Don't Mm. don't try and shove that tug in the dog's mouth. There's That's totally wrong in another situation. So we're getting a little Einstein in here that every action has an equal or opposite reaction. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, there's there's a circumstance where what I just said is total nonsense, Mm. right? So, like, I say it here with total conviction and, and truth, but there's also a circumstance where that's totally not true and mm. what looks like it's similar. So anyway, that's that we should wrap it up, but that's where like my head's at with this kind of stuff at the moment is that, you know, choose your words carefully and set the learner up for success. Whether mm. the learner is the dog or the person, you, you got to be careful and, and to get them on the path. Maybe you say things like there's no such thing as a suicide rabbit or you say, hey, sometimes rabbits taunt the, the predator because they like the thrill of the chase and that's what you want to do here. Taunt him with it. Get mm. it moving around, right? So it's a, there's, there's layers to this shit, man. Oh, absolutely. One thing I guess to close this in on as well is even though we've talked about don't be absolute in the way that you're projecting your education, we could say that on the other side is don't be so absolute in your receiving of it as well. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that a large portion of what your educator or your mentor or your tutor is giving you is largely valuable to you. And I'm not suggesting that at all because that's counterproductive to many of these conversations. But there are times where you have to say, this is the best information now, but be prepared to change. Mm. You know, be flexible in your thinking is that sometimes your trainer will even come in and say, what we did last week, scrap it. It's not working. You know, even though that was a great plan at the time, now that we've had time to think about it, reevaluate and what we've seen presented now, 
I thought that was the best course of action then. It's not going to be from here on in. Yeah. If you watch or listen to doctors and surgeons who are trying to diagnose problems with people, they'll be treating a symptom that they believe this is the exact way to treat it. You know, this is the best course of action. And then they're, as they're treating it, they find out something else has happened, which, you know, they didn't account for something surfaced suddenly. And then they go, that wasn't the problem, but now we found what it is. So we have to stop that immediately, like pull back on everything and change our whole um, manifestation of fixing this problem now, because it's, you know, like in trying to treat that problem, we surface the actual problem. Yep. And that's happened in training before where, you know, like I've tried to treat something and I thought that's not working. That's accelerating the issue. So we have to stop. We literally have to cease everything that we're doing that's related to that in any way, shape, or form and be prepared to say, stop, don't mm. do that anymore. We were wrong. There's no problem in suggesting sometimes that you're wrong. We're not all infallible. But at the time, what's presented at you too, that does represent and based on the information you know and the preparedness that you have as an educator or trainer or mentor or coach, whatever it is, that what presented right then was indicative of the behavior that you're trying to treat. Mm. But it may not end that way. And that's where that flexibility comes into play. Mm. Good point. Yeah. All right. That's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. That had nothing to do with the subject that we were going yeah, to originally we never even talk got about. to it. But yeah. now we've got one in the bank. Yeah. We've got a, a subject up our sleeve. We have. If you like the show, any episode, this one or others, the best way to help us out with the show is to get involved in some kind of mechanism of letting people know that. So yeah. You could just tell a friend for realsies. Yep. You could leave a review or a, a comment or something like that. You could rate the show on whatever platform you listen to. Or you could just like say in real life, you could just say to a friend, hey, you should listen to this. Yeah. That helps. Real life's really cool, not just social media. Do you know I still have people asking me what Patreon is? Yeah. They listen to the show. And funnily enough, like I think, oh, I don't really want to like pound this down anyone's throat. Yeah. But then they say to me, you know, like I had students on the weekend, they go, oh, I haven't heard of Patreon. And I said, do you listen to the show? They go, yeah. Yeah. And really? Okay. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. So Patreon, that's if you want to support the show. So if you want to grow the show, tell a friend. Yeah. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is to jump into Patreon. Yep. Patreon is a subscription service. The show is free, but there's extra stuff in Patreon. And what there is in there is literally like two years of- of educational content. It's like our members only for people, except we're not nude. Yeah. Well, I mean, we could be. Just, we have talked about that. Yeah. yeah. That Patreon does allow that. You can you can do nudity in Patreon. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. You just got to tell them. You just can't just be like, surprise. <laughs> <Nude>. <laughs> you just got to be like, hey, guys, there's nudity here. Because that would, I mean, that would really... I feel like we'd either get a shit ton or lose all of our followers if it was just like me in front of the whiteboard. And I was like, hey, guys, we're just going to talk about some dog training topics and then just stand up pantsless. <laughs> that, would be, that would be uncool. Oh, but so if I said, hey, guys, I am about to stand up pantsless. Yep. I'm just, a, I'm going to teach this and shirt cock it at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> but so Patreon, jump into there. Yep. Three bucks a month will get you access to literally years of educational content. We used mm. to do like one a month educational content. And then what we're changing to now is a less frequent, but, but Pat much- Spielberg is really getting into his film directing. Yeah. So less mm. frequent, but much, much higher quality content will be going into there because like all the educational stuff, it's in there, right? Yep. Like my everything I've ever taught anyone about dogs is in there now. So I want to move on to more industry related and cooler stuff. And I'm making cool stuff with that. You guys are paying for it all. And, but it, it just can't be as frequent. It just can't be every month. The workload is 
insurmountably higher yep. <laughs> for it, but it's not, it's bear, just not bear as with frequent. Us. That's what we're trying to say. Yeah. But what will happen every month is in the, another one of the tiers is there's a live Q and a, and because now that's not going to relate specifically to an educational episode, that'll be anything. Mm. Uh, and then there's other tiers you can give in there as well. So that's what Patreon is. It's a huge support. We like, Cannot thank the people who are already and remain in there. That's been amazing. And if you want to support the show, that's the best way to do it. Jump into there. If you want to support the show and you already are in there, then that's how you can recommend some of that content, share it, uh, tell a friend to get into there. You can share straight from Patreon to the public and then the public will see that there's something cool. And then when they try to click it, they'll hit the payment wall. And then that's how, that's how we get them. That's how we get their three bucks. I'm willing to throw a little bit of a challenge out there for our Teespring people as well. Mm-hmm. Remember Dylan Anderson, how he went off and got a tattoo of yeah. the canine paradigm on his leg? Yeah. So we have two canine paradigm tattoos out there. Dylan has one on his leg and Jason has one as a trans, tramp stamp. Oh, you you yeah. lunatic Furman. Yeah. I yeah. thought it was a joke. When he sent me that photo and it was just the stencil. No, I, I knew it was, like, was real. It was just the stencil. And I was like, haha, that, geez, that'd be funny. And then yeah. like an hour later, he sends me the finished tattoo. And I was like, what? And Avery designed done? it. Yeah. 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 Secretly. Yes. It's like, what have you done? Yeah. You imbecile. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, knowing that our faces are tattooed on Furman's ass yeah. is just horrific. Yeah. However, let's move forward. (laughs) (laughs) So we often talk about our wall tapestries. So what I'm going to suggest is if there's five people out there who have got facilities like training facilities and you put a case forward that you're prepared to hang it in your facility, we are prepared to send you a wall tapestry on us. Okay. Okay. So the big one, the big mofo of the canine paradigm in whatever color you want, if you're doesn't matter where you are in the world. If you are prepared to hang that in your facility, yep. like for real. Show us the space. Yeah, we show us the, yeah, want to see the space in the discussion group. Yeah. So we want, and then we need to see a before and after. Yeah. So Tracy Mammon went and did it for us for free. Yeah. Um, she purchased. She paid. Yeah. She paid. So, you know, being a supporter of the show, Tracy Mammon, where she's got all her mills and she's got, I think she's got two or three mills where she's got her dogs running on them. Mm-hmm. She's got Einswick, I think, up in there and she's got the canine paradigm. Amazing. Yeah. So if you're prepared to do that, show us the space, as Pat said, and we will give you a free wall tapestry from the Canine Paradigm as our love and thanks for supporting our show. Amazing. Yep. So as Glenn just pointed out, other way to support the show is Teespring. Mm. Buy some cool merch, get yourself some cool gear. We get a few bucks per T-shirt. That's wonderful. Yeah, people have been jumping on that lately. So we did say that we wanted people on the Canine Paradigm discussion group. If you want to show us a picture of you out and about sporting the gear, that yep. would be fun as well. Training dogs. Doing yeah, training dogs, doing stuff. Maybe don't do one pantsless, um, as we were talking about before. Whatever. <laughs> Uh, and if you want to get in contact with us best way is jump into the facebook group post your stuff in there we're trying to keep that facebook group light and fluffy and happy there's heavy topics in there sometimes but as long as they relate to the show and dog training properly that's fine Mm. just no just leave check your bullshit at the door yes please um and if you want to shoot us an email about anything of a personal nature we are info at the canineparadigm.com that's it goodbye (laughs) 